My name is Noah. I'm Ava. I'm Jack. I'm Luke. I'm Steven. I'm Lillian. I'm Carly. We're the HAEA Youth Leadership Council, and this is the Beyond HAE Podcast. This youth-produced podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of the U.S. Hereditary Angioedema Association, a patient advocacy organization serving the needs of the HAE patient and caregiver community. Welcome everyone to tonight's HAEI Roundtable for ages 12 to 15. I'm Jess, uh, one of the moderators here at the HAEA, and I also have my colleague Hannah here tonight. Um, So we have two lovely ladies here with us tonight at our table. Um, Lena, do you want to introduce yourself first? Yes, my name is Lena. I'm 12 years old and I am from Alabama. Great. Thank you, Lena. Uh, And Lexi, what about you? I'm Lexi. I'm from Utah and I'm 14. Great. Thanks for being here with us tonight, ladies. Um, So I first want to talk about when you first learned about your HIE. So some of us have different stories, I know. Some of us have a family history and some of us don't. So Lexi, I'm going to start with you. How did you first learn about your HIE? And how did that feel when you first got your diagnosis? Um, I was diagnosed when I was born. And so HIE has been in my family for generations. And so like my dad had it and my brother has it. So I was around it a lot. And so I learned really young, like how to watch for it and deal with it. Yeah, so there's probably not a ton of memory there of when you were first diagnosed, um, but that's great that you have family there who um, really helps normalize those feelings around HIE. Lena, how about you? I was officially diagnosed with HIE last year, and I didn't really like it because I didn't want it, and I had to go to the hospital a lot after it happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Lena, it's interesting. I have a very similar story to you. So um, I was diagnosed when I was 15 and I didn't know anything about HAE until I had it. Uh, and I remember being really upset and really scared uh, when I first was diagnosed because there was no one else in my family who had it. Um, but Hannah, I know your story is a little different. What, what was your diagnosis like? Yeah. So my story was a lot similar to Lexi's. My dad has HAE and he was diagnosed at a very, very young age. However, I was diagnosed when I was 13, but I started showing HA symptoms from as young as six years old. And it was a lot of confusion back then. But when I started showing those symptoms, my parents kind of had a good idea what was going on. And um, I got taken to the doctor, I got the tests and I had the HA diagnosis, but the diagnosis was easy, but the attacks and the symptoms were not. I struggled really up until the first medication was released. So like everyone, the, the diagnosis journey is, isn't easy. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's an important uh, distinction to make because getting the diagnosis is really only the first step to the process. And once we, we start to have answers as to why things are happening, it doesn't mean that they're immediately going to resolve. Um, and we all have to still manage our HAE every day. So Lena, I wanna ask you um, a question about your HAE. So when you feel an attack coming on, what does that feel like? Do you get any warning signs anywhere in your body? Yeah, kind of. Sometimes my hands start to hurt and mm-hmm. my face tingles and my throat hurt, starts to hurt from my mouth. Yeah, no, I, I get very similar symptoms to you as well, where I get kind of tingly feeling or um, sometimes I just get this feeling of like overwhelming 
doom almost where I just know something really bad is going to happen. And I have to ask myself, why am I feeling so anxious right now? And then I realize, okay, maybe that's, that's why it's probably an attack coming on. Uh, Lexi, do you get any warning signs before an attack? I do. Um, typically I will, it'll start to tingle like you guys do. Um, and it will get really hot and really red. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hannah, do you get any warning signs? Um, yeah, my, my attacks are usually abdominal. So again, there's that tingly feeling, but there's also that weird achy stomach ache feeling. And at the very beginning, it's not sure to distinguish between if it's an attack or if it's something else, but once it kind of gets over that little hump, I think we all know the same feeling where it's like, all right, this is, this isn't the typical stomach ache. This is an HAE attack. Um, but same with hands and feet. I'm the same with everyone else. There's that tingly feeling and there's that just weird, strange feeling where you think like if, if it's your hand, you try to bend it and it's, it's not bendable is what I should say. Or you put your hand down and you feel just like a little tiny lump in the bottom of your hand. You're like, okay, I know what's going on here. Totally. Um, Lena, I want to ask you too. So whenever you feel an attack coming on, has there ever been an instance where you've forgiving yourself medication before treating it and did your attack get really bad or, or what happened? Uh, I didn't tell my mom about it because I didn't want to get stuck with the needle mm-hmm. and it got really bad. I didn't tell her until it got really bad and then they had to take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's happened to me before too. I think sometimes we get in our heads about, oh, we don't want to do the needle or we don't want to, you know, do the medicine right away because we're busy doing something else that's fun and we don't have to worry about it. And then later on, it, it's a lot harder to manage because um, y- you let it go too far. Um, have you ever had that happen, Lexi? Yeah. Um, I would normally get my attacks in my stomach. And so after a while, it would get so bad that it would have like flu-like symptoms where it's like I'm throwing up all the time. And once it gets to where I like can't stand up straight, then I know that it's past the point where I can take medication. It'll help. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, it sounds like a lot of us experience the same thing where the earlier we treat, the, the sooner it stops, right? The, the less bad it is. But sometimes we let ourselves get in the way of saying, oh, we'll just push it off a little bit or maybe it'll go away. And it almost never does. Um, but <laughs> I, I know, Hannah, you have a story, too, with waiting too long and, and to treat. Yeah, this was this was pretty recent. This was just under a year ago. I was on my way home, actually, from your bridal shower dress, which is mm-hmm. in Virginia. And I lived in Pennsylvania. So it was a pretty long drive. And on the way back, I started getting those little achy feelings in my stomach where I was like, okay, is is it something different? Do I need to eat something? Nope. About 30 minutes later, it was full-blown attack symptoms and I'm still driving home. I didn't carry my medication on me. I didn't have any type of preventative medication. I didn't have any type of acute medication. So I am just driving down the road. I'm about maybe 45 minutes away from my house at this point. I get home and it's just total can't walk, vomiting to the point where I was basically like, I have to go to the hospital. I I can't move. I'm so lethargic. I am throwing up and I can't stop. And my medication for acute treatment is IV only. And since I struggle myself with self-administration and administering this IV medication, 
that was kind of my last resort. And I went to the hospital, full-blown attack. I really depended on my caregivers to talk to the physicians and talk to the nurses and staff as to what was going on. Cause I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk. I couldn't even really explain what was going on. Cause I was just so exhausted. So carry your acute treatment and preventative treatment at all times. If I would have had my treatment on me, I could have easily just stopped, pulled over, administered, gotten someone to help me administer, but I mean, since we didn't have it, it was kind of out of luck. And then to the hospital, I had to go, but yeah. all of that could yeah. have been prevented. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you brought up though, Hannah, is that especially as you guys um, are, are getting older to always remember, especially if you're traveling or if you're driving yourself somewhere, um, you know, make sure you have your medication with you because it makes it so much worse um, if you do not have it with you. So important to remember you guys, um, HAE kind of changes with age and you know, the, the things that you're managing are always going to be changing. And that's kind of why we host things like the round table. So that way we can talk about the issues that you guys are facing at your specific age. Um, so other kids can learn from that as well. So one thing that I do want to talk about, um, especially that I struggled with at your guys's age was, um, dealing with the fear of needles and um, trying to figure out how to manage your own medication, you know, having a parent help you, kind of learning how that works. So Lena, tell me about your experience with needles and how that goes. I don't like them, like at all. They hurt yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, they're not fun. Um, and, and honestly, I think that it's important that we acknowledge that, that we say, hey, this doesn't feel great. Um, but the alternative also does not feel great. <laughs> so I think we have to recognize the importance of the medicine that we're administrating as well. Do you have any tips for any other kids, Lena, about um, what you typically do when you're you're scared for the needle or, or trying to reduce the pain? Normally I try to focus on something else or I breathe when the needle goes through, so it doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah. Totally. I think those are great tips. Um, you know, just trying to put yourself in a different mindset, focus on something else. Those are awesome. Um, Lexi, how about you? Do you have any other tips? Um, I do what Lena does and I, um, try to focus on something else. So normally I will like watch a TV show while I do it, or like, just try to focus on breathing, like just get my mind off of what's happening. Yeah, totally. I think another thing that always helped me was that like, I would try to do something positive while I would have that negative energy of the needle. So like, I would save like my favorite candy or something in the cabinet. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to, I get to have this whenever I'm doing my meds. So trying to still make it something that you can look forward to. <laughs> it's, I know it's terrible and I know it's, it's a struggle, but um, it's something that eventually will not be as intimidating as you start to do it more. Um, Hannah, do you have any, any suggestions for anyone? I mean, all, all the tips that have been said so far have really been the ones that I try to focus on, but for pain management, if it hurts to administer the needle, I try to use an ice pack and just press an ice pack on while I'm kind of mixing up my meds. So there's a good amount of time that goes on. And then once the needle actually goes in, if it's sub Q, it doesn't hurt as bad. And also the administering process itself, I try to hold an ice pack on. There's also numbing creams that can help, but really the main thing that I try to do is just relax. 
focusing on your breathing, like Lexi said, putting on a show, getting in your head is really easy to do, especially if there's a sharp needle that's involved. So the more calm that you are, the easier the process is going to be. And it's also going to calm the people that are around you down as well and show that, okay, I'm in control of this. I understand what's going on. Your caregivers and other people who are around you as well can also be like, okay, we know what's going on. It's safe. This is an okay process. And like you said, just the outcome in the end is going to be a lot greater with those medications in you than if they weren't to begin with. Definitely. One thing I want to bring up to you guys too is, um, I always really struggled with telling other kids at school or, um, you know, classmates about my HAE just because I was always concerned what their reaction would be. Um, and Lexi, I know that you have a lot of experience with telling other kids about HAE. So what was that like? How do you normally explain um, HAE to your friends? So sometimes when my friends will like bring up that they were sick or like they would have the flu or some symptoms like that, then I would start talking about it just because like, I wanted to spread awareness and I also would just be able to relate to them in some sort of way. And it would be a lot easier because they would normally they would take it really well and they wouldn't be upset or like weird about it. They would just like ask more questions. And so it was really good to be able to keep advocating for myself and talking to more people about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I think the more people that you tell, the easier it gets because you kind of have almost like a speech prepared in your head of like, okay, this is how I say it to people. And once they, they hear about it, normally they're, they're very understanding and interested. Lena, have you ever told any of your friends or classmates about HAE? I've told some of them. I haven't really told all of them yet. Cause mm-hmm. I only tell some of my friends that I'm like super duper comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. How did they react? Did they react well? Yeah. That's awesome. I think, you know, it's an, it's an okay thing to not share with everybody. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's more than fine. Um, you know, really it's a very personal part about your life. And so if you just want to share that with the people that you trust the most, that's great. Um, and then if you want to tell more people that that's great too, um, it's, it's such a personal choice. And I'm glad that you both at least have some people in your life that you trust enough to talk about with. Um, So I also want to ask Lexi, I know since you have a family history with HAE, um, who in your family has HAE and how does their HAE differ from yours? Um, My dad had it and he got it from my grandma and my older brother has it too. My dad would get swells all over his body. Um, My grandma, we didn't know that she had it until like last year. And so sometimes she'll get swells, but we, we didn't know that it was swells until like just barely. So I think she's been doing really good, but I don't really talk to her very often. Um, and then my older brother gets like hands and face and feet swells the most, I think. And for me, I get stomach swells. So we all have different parts of our body that swell, but we swell in a, in kind of the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great that you guys can talk about those things though, is, you know, you find similarities there and you know what to watch out for each other. Um, so that's great. I'm glad you have that. Um, Hannah, I know you also have a family history. So how is your dad's HAE different from yours? Yeah, mine's kind of the same as Lexi's. My main attack is abdominal. I get hand and feet and extremity swells here and there, but, um, that's really the main focus for my dad's swells. He swells a lot in his feet. He has his hands swell up a lot. Um, there's an occasional abdominal tax, but it's, it's really different. Even though we have the same disease, it's really hard to relate in some instances with his specific disease. 
He's also on a completely different medication. That's, we kind of call it the outdated dinosaur medication in in AJE uh, talk, I guess. But even with him, he'll just kind of let attacks ride out because that's what he's done for years and years. For me, I try to treat as soon as possible so that those attack symptoms don't get worse. So even in a treatment aspect, it's really hard to relate to him as well. But um, being a female and male also, the the attack uh, symptoms and, and attack triggers are, are really different, especially when I was going through puberty and um, had had a bunch of changes there. I couldn't relate to him in that aspect as well, just because the attack triggers were so different. But like you said, Jess, there's still some similarities. I like to think of HAE attacks as a spectrum. Um, some people have really similar HAE attacks and others can be completely different. But um, just as, as long as you're managing them and treating and acknowledging your triggers and stuff, um, that, that really makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. So Lena, you and I are, are in a very similar boat um, in the fact that you don't have family with HAE, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one thing that I really struggled with when I was first diagnosed was feeling really isolated um, and kind of lonely because of my HAE, because I felt like there weren't other people in my family or any of my friends who knew what I was going through. Have you ever felt like that? A little bit. Yeah. Not a lot though. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you have felt like that, what helped you to feel better? Was there anything that you did specifically? I like playing with dogs sometimes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, that's, that's great therapy. And hanging out with my parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think both of those things definitely helped me. I hang out with my dog whenever I'm feeling sad. I think the more we talk about things and, you know, especially have conversations with other people within the HAEA, it helps us to feel like we aren't so isolated. There's other people who are going through what we are, but I also think, you know, family is a great support system. I know you have your mom who's, who's always there for you. And even though they don't know exactly what you're feeling all the time, they can um, listen to what you're going through and uh, empathize with that. So one thing I want to ask about as well is what's something that you guys would give as a piece of advice to someone who was just diagnosed with HAE. So let's say someone just found out from the doctors yesterday that this is what's happening to them. And they're trying to figure out all of this information. What advice would you give to them that would really help them for what they're going through? Lexi, I'm gonna start with you. Um, I would have them um, find a trusted like person and be able to talk to them about it because everybody needs to have somebody. Um, And it's a lot easier to bear when you have other people in your corner. Um, and it's for me, like, it's not all the time. Like I, the treatment that I'm on, I'm able to go and do all these different things and not have to worry about it as often, as long as I'm doing what I need to do. So it's after a while, it gets easier. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you. Um, and important to remember sometimes when managing a chronic, um, illness, it feels like it's going to be terrible forever and, and things get better. Medicines change you know, you learn to, to cope a little better. So great things to keep in mind. Uh, Lena, how about you? Do you have any advice for someone? I think uh, if they were just hanging out, they should probably find something they really like doing and try not to think about too hard. Maybe run the HAE club for people who have HAE. 
Yeah, totally. Um, great advice. So making sure you have an outlet for it's, it's stressful managing HIE. It's something that is really hard to deal with, but I'm glad that you said that. Um, just trying to find some sort of outlet there is so important. And yeah, we do have a great community here at the HAEA. Uh, Hannah, do you have any advice for anybody? I mean, they both said it great and perfect, yeah. but um, I mean, utilize the resources that are out there. When I was 13, I was kind of just stuck in my own little bubble. I didn't know that there was an organization out there for hereditary angioedema. I thought that it was just my dad and I, and that we were just going to have to struggle through it together. And the word there is struggle. You don't need to struggle. There are people and resources, stuff as simple as emergency room toolkits that I wish that I had when I was 13, which was 10 years ago, that I could give to the emergency room physicians that would easily explain what was going on with me so I didn't have to depend on trying to talk or having my parents trying to talk and explain what was going on. Um, the HAA has so many resources for individuals, not only with HAE, but caregivers, friends, family members. Um, we have support groups. It's, it's really amazing and such a great feeling to just meet someone else with HAE. I know my first interaction with somebody with HAE that wasn't my dad was somebody that was my age. And it was just a whole other world out there. Just re relating with attack symptoms was something that I never thought was going to be so amazing in my entire life. But um, there's just so many resources out there. And the HAA has a lot of support and can help with any, really any question that people have about HAE. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's part of the reason that we, we do events like the, the round table as well. So we can uh, give a voice to the young people who are out there like um, you guys and, and making sure that other people see that it is possible um, to manage it. You know, we're all in different steps in our HAE journey, right? So Lena was just diagnosed a year ago. Lexi's been diagnosed since birth, but you guys are still managing it and, and handling it by learning through others you know, giving a voice to what you're going through. So important. And, and I really want to thank you guys for um, being a part of this tonight. But I also want to highlight um, that, that HAE is not the only thing that is special about you guys. Um, so there are other things that you do and participate in other than having HAE. Um, so Lexi, what kind of outlets have you had or uh, what activities do you like to participate in beyond HAE? For me, I love to play basketball. So a couple of years ago, I joined the junior jazz team for my area, and it was really, really good for me. Awesome. I'm so glad you did that. Um, Lena, how about you? I like doing gymnastics and flipping and doing other stuff and gaming sometimes. Awesome. Those are great activities. Um, well, thank you guys so much for sharing your stories tonight. Thank you. Um, for really putting your voices out there. I know that it is intimidating to share these intimate details about yourself, but it's so important to our community. So um, with that, I think we are gonna sign off the round table tonight. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you all on June 14th for the next HAEA round table. Good night, everybody. Thank you. The information presented, including opinions and recommendations, is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
No one should act upon any information presented without first seeking medical advice from a qualified licensed medical doctor. For assistance finding a physician, please contact an HAE advocate at 866-798-5598. The HAEA is an advocacy and research organization committed to actively engaging our community in a wide variety of grassroots activities that promote disease education and awareness. We provide personalized services to address the unique needs of people with HAE and their families, which include helping them secure access to and reimbursement for modern HAE medicines. Our great success in supporting clinical research has resulted in a variety of FDA-approved therapeutic options. We work closely with expert physicians to continuously upgrade quality of life through improving diagnosis and knowledge of the disease and encouraging a tailored patient-focused use of available therapeutic options. The HAEA is product and company neutral and continues to enthusiastically support drug discovery research aimed at the next generation of HAE therapies. We would like to thank BioChrist for sponsoring this episode 